Today I want to talk about, uh, continue our series in uh, a season in the minors. And sometimes we're going through the minor prophets. Some of the, I'll be honest with you, some of the sermons are tougher to find in them. Some of them are a little less relatable to our day. And some of them are more relatable. And today, something really stood out. Because the time period, this is going to be about the book of Amos, that Amos was talking about sounds very similar to our time period. It's a, he lives in a country that's very prosperous and it's going through a time of peace, both in the northern and southern kingdom. Their biggest enemy, for the most part, hasn't been uh, active. And 40 years, about 40 years later, they're going to be carried off into captivity by the Assyrian Empire that's not bothering them right now. They're going to have great military success. In fact, no one's going to really be messing with them because of their military. They're a religious nation where religious holidays are some of the biggest celebrations in the country, such as Christmas and Easter for our country. Sounds familiar. Uh, they thought of themselves as a chosen nation, which they were to a point, but they, and they looked forward to the day of the Lord. They're like, we just want to see God because when God comes down, He's going to be so proud of us. He's going to be so proud of all the things that we've done for Him. But God is going to call a man named Amos to speak to Israel and warn them of their sins and their future if they do not repent. They looked at their present situation and they thought everybody was okay, everything was okay. And I think this really fits us as a country and as a people right now. If you ask people, um, are you a good person? Well, of course I'm a good person. And there's always the, the good person test, which is I'm not as bad as that person. Okay? You should, if you think, I think bad, I think of my brother. I think of bad, I think of the person across the street. I think of this person. I'm a good person. Everybody who dies, the political cartoon is, well, of course they get to go to heaven because they're all, everybody's good. Everybody's doing a great job. I go to church on Christmas and Easter if, it, if it's convenient. Uh, or I've, I've, I was confirmed maybe at one time, went to Lake Geneva camp or Oak Hills camp or something at one time. And I think that's the state of our country right now. It's the state of a lot of people. And Amos is going to speak to this today about a message that he has for his people. And what this message is called is what God desires. It's not what we desire. It's what God desires. The first thing we need to understand is that God desires his kind of person. Now, he's got a message to bring to the people of Israel. And we see in Amos 1.1, it says, The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. So here's what we have. We have a shepherd who is now called and said, Why don't you go and speak to the, to the kingdom? Why don't you go speak to the king? Now, the word for shepherd here means a sheep herder, uh, a sheep breeder, actually, which is somebody that's a little higher on the chain. But notice, not a trained pastor, not a trained prophet, not anything like that. God calls the person that he wants. Also, the person's from Tekoa. How do I describe Tekoa? It's 12 miles south of Jerusalem. It's not nowhere, but you can see it from there. All right? He is not, he's, he's not a pastor, not a prophet. He's from a town that nobody maybe would even have heard of. And where does he go to prophesy? He's south of Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem is in the southern kingdom of Judah. God says, go prophesy in the northern kingdom. So not only is he a a guy who's not a pastor, not a prophet, from a small town nobody's heard of, they send him to to the area, God sends him to the area where nobody knows who he is. Why does God do this? Because God's got a plan and he's looking for people that are willing. God is not necessarily always looking at things and saying, you know, it's the way we look at it. Well, this isn't the person I would pick, and, and I would say, thank God that God doesn't think like I do. He looks for the person who's going to be faithful. So he's out of his comfort zone. Amos 7.14 says, Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet nor prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. God's decisions, again, defy our logic. Let's look at some of the other people that God has chosen. Moses was a murderer who could not speak very well. Joseph was sold into slavery and became the second highest in command in Egypt. David was a shepherd and the least of the sons of Jesse. Remember when they were picking king, they're like, do you have another kid? Yeah, well, we've got David. I mean, you want to have favorites, but it didn't sound like, I, I just, it's a dad thing, it's like, well, if you want my other kid. This doesn't sound, I mean, that's, I don't know, that's not a happy thing. Most, I, all of our mothers here, of course, would never say things like that. Um, how about Gideon? Gideon says, when they come up to him, he says, My clan is the weakest of the tribes, and I am the least of my father's house. And God says, I want to use you. Jesus' disciples, zealots, fishermen, tax collectors, and my favorite, the sons of thunder. James and John, why are they called the sons of thunder? Well, later on, they desire to call down thunder and lightning on unbelieving villages. This is the guy they pick. You might want to pick somebody with a little more patience. But Jesus says, I'm going to use these people. Who are zealots? They're the ones who want to rise up and overthrow the Roman Empire, but with the the sword. Fishermen don't have any training in theology. God says, I want to use these people. And so, how about Paul? We always talk about a violent persecutor of Christians. God says, I'm going to use you. The trend is not the people, but the, but the God who does great things with all kinds of people. He can use you. He is sovereign over all the nations. You will see in this, in the beginning of the book of Amos, we're not going to go through it, but God calls judgment on every single nation. And we've talked about this is a big deal. And even in today, there are some people who think, and there are churches who believe this today, and I use the word church maybe in quotes, that we shouldn't bother other people and preach our gospel to them because we might disturb their culture and their religion. Because God wants to disturb their culture and the religion. I'm thankful that I'm not serving Thor any longer. Okay? As a proud Viking. I'm not waiting for Valhalla. Just, I'm thankful that a Christian missionary came and disturbed my culture. And we need to understand that God is sovereign, and God is sovereign over everything. God pronounces judgment in all the nations. There's no place that God has, does not have control. If God sends you to a place, God's in control wherever he sends you. There's no place outside of it. I've heard people say, and I've talked to young people that say, I can't go to another church. It won't be like the church I went to in Bemidji. And I always tell them, you know what? It could be a lot better. <laughs> Just want to tell you a little secret. But... I said, it doesn't matter. God doesn't exist just here. God doesn't exist just in our small zone. God exists wherever he tells us to go, wherever he calls us. What else does God desire? God desires the hard truth. 
God doesn't, God doesn't give it to them soft. He gives them the hard truth of what he wants them to do. Look at Amos 1, 2. And he said, this is what Amos said, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn, and the top of Carmel withers. To a shepherd, there's no worse sound than the sound of a roaring lion. Because your job is to stop the roaring lion from eating your sheep. Okay? It talked about Samson was able to kill lions, and uh, David was, and other people in the Bible. But this is an amazing feat, because a roaring lion at this point meant that some judgment was about to happen. Something was about to come down. So God is saying right here, you know the fear that you have when you hear the roaring lion? Guess what? God is the roaring lion right now. Pay attention. And all the people would say, but we're fine. We're fine. We're good people. We don't do bad things to our neighbors. We, we say please and thank you. We, we do things like this. But he is saying, you know what? You need to hear this hard truth. The terrifying roar of the line of God. And some of these other passages in Amos. He says in Amos 2.13, Behold, I will press you down in your place as a cart full of sheaves presses down. Amos 4.2, The Lord God who has sworn by His holiness that behold, the days are coming upon you when they will take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. We as northern Minnesotans know this, but the last of them will take, be taken away by hooks and if we study the Assyrian Empire, the Assyrian Empire were horrible people. They just tortured the people they took away. And he is saying that this judgment is coming if you don't turn around. Amos 5.19 says, As if a man fled from a lion, and then, and a bear met him, or went into his house and leaned on his hand against the wall, and a serpent bit him. That just sounds like a bad day. Okay? What he is trying to say right here is, you need to hear this. I got away from the lion. There's a bear. Ah, I'm fine. A serpent bites you. What he is saying here is the roaring lion of God, you're not going to get away from him. We're, there's no one who's going to escape the judgment of God. And that is not a fear that we should fear if we are following after God. But if we are not following him, if we are not following his way, if we are doing our own thing, there is a point that we need to fear this. Because what it comes down to, and the issue that Amos is really going to draw on, I think it's going to hit home to us today, is God desires true worship. Let me tell you about the people of Amos' time. They did not, the, he, this whole book, we've talked about Hosea and Joel, and they talk about the worship of Baal or Baal, and they'll talk about other things. There's a few passages where he talks about, Sicketh your king, and kind, your star God, in Amos 5.26. He talks a little bit, as your God lives, O, o Dan, as the way of Beersheba lives. But for the most part, he's going to say, yeah, you're dabbling in other religions. But what he's really going to come after them is, you think by going to church, by doing these rituals, that you're impressing me. And he's calling the people out on it. You think that you're doing this. You're going. Your attendance is great. You have so many people that say, I believe in God. I believe in what he is calling him to do. Amos is going to say the religious traditions and practices have been perverted, misunderstood, and rejected. Uh, the practices are mentioned as not as wrong as much as the hypocrisy. 
There's temple worship, songs, sacrifices, tithes. They're not described as, well, you shouldn't be doing these things. He is saying that their, their pride and their wrong attitude going into it are making all of their places, their holy places such as Bethel and Gilgal, they're making them smell to God. He says, I don't even want to see you anymore in these places. You think you're pleasing me. And he's calling, he's calling them down. Now he talks about Bethel. Now Bethel, I went to a seminary called Bethel. Okay? And he's about to say, don't go to Bethel. This is kind of funny. Or go to Bethel. And uh, uh, everybody also went to Northwestern knows Amos 4.4. Because Northwestern, where my son goes now, um, we all learn this verse because it says, go to Bethel and sin. Because Bethel was a school that was just north of Northwestern. We always thought we were better than that. But w- when I went to Bethel as a seminary student, I can tell you this, that there was a big rock there from Bethel. So Bethel, the place, is not a bad place. And you know why it's not a bad place? Look at what happened in the history of Bethel. Abraham had built an altar of coming to what is now Israel. When he got there, he built an altar at Bethel. Jacob had met God there. This was the ladder that had come down from heaven, came down at Bethel. The Ark of the Covenant was kept there before it was moved to Jerusalem. The prophet Samuel visited there regularly. Now, what they have done, and I just, we've talked about this with Hosea, and I just don't get this. The people have decided that, well, we don't have any things. Let's put up a golden calf to represent God. It's just like, you did that before. It didn't work. In the desert, when you first got out of Egypt, you put up a golden calf. But they decided to pervert the place. So here's a holy place. Bethel's a holy place. He says, go there and do your sinning. How about Gilgal? Gilgal was the base of operation for the Israelites when they entered the promised land, where the wilderness generation was circumcised, where the manna had stopped because they were in the promised land. A wonderful place. And so what does God say through Amos right now? Come to Bethel in Amos 4, 4 through 5 and transgress to Gilgal and multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning. Okay, so he says, come and sin. Come and multiply your sins. And here's what the sins are. Bring your sacrifices every morning. And they would say, wait a sec. Didn't you tell us to do sacrifices? Your tithes every three days. Wait, weren't we supposed to give our tithes? Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving on what is, which is leaven. Wait, weren't we supposed to do that? And proclaim free will offerings and publish them. For you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord, O God. You see, what he's saying right there is you're making your sacrifices. <coughs> you are offering your sacrifices. You are doing, you're proclaiming your tithes. You are giving free will offerings. But there's some subtle things that he is saying right here. And he's going to tell us what is wrong with the church and what we can talk about us. He is going to say, first of all, the tithe was required every three years. What were they doing? They were doing it every three days. Why? Just to show God how much better we are than everybody else. See the attitude there? God didn't... Here's the funny thing about giving. God doesn't need our money. He wants it to change our heart. It wasn't changing their heart. It was making them proud of how wonderful they were. The offering that he talks about was only supposed to come once a year, and they were doing it, offer... um, Proclaim free will offerings, they were doing them daily or sacrifices every morning. 
And, and they're not supposed to be proclaimed or told to anybody else. What are they doing? It says they're proclaiming them, and not only that, they're publishing them. Here's a list of who's giving what. Ooh, look how much more spiritual this person is than that person. Let's, let's name... One of the things I've always wanted to do, and I'm not, I don't want to pick on people that have done this as much as this is just a desire, is to have enough money to get it, buy a building for a school and name it after somebody else. You know what I mean? It's like, name it after somebody else and not even me. Because a lot of times, I find people are more interested in, in how much they get out of it than what they're giving to people. I remember when we worked at Teen Challenge, there were people that gave money to Teen Challenge, and they demand the finest seat and be right next to this and have all this. I said, you're giving for the wrong reason. This is for God. This is not to proclaim how wonderful we are, but we're giving to God. We're giving to God. We should deserve, we deserve credit for that. Can we all stand up and just, oh, look at me how proud I am. I wrote a big check. Oh, look at me. I've given this every three. Oh, look at my sacrifices that I'm making. If your heart is wrong, God doesn't want to hear it. God doesn't need our money. He wants our heart. He wants us to change. The practices that do not coincide with their actions. Look at Amos 5, 21 to 24. He says, I hate, I despise your feasts. Who are the, who's the one who told them to do the feast? God did. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Again, solemn assemblies that they were supposed to do. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, which they were supposed to do, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs and the melody of your harps. I will not listen. So in other words, here's the people that are coming to their worship areas. They're doing what they think they're supposed to do. They're singing praises to God. And God says, be quiet. I don't want to hear it. It's, it's, I mean, this is hard stuff. Amos is not exactly given. He's not the happy-go-lucky prophet. I'm just saying. He's preaching. He says, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it because your heart's not there. I, I know people, I, I think we can have this. We can have the attitude, well, I sing to God, and I, I do these things to God, and I offer, my, offer this, and I offer that, and I, I give lip service to God. Says, God says, I don't want to hear it. I want something else out of you. I want your heart. I want it to change. What does he say in verse 24? But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. I'd rather hear that. He says, your songs are great. Your attitudes stink. Your sin stinks in my eye. You're not changing. You're offering sacrifices and you're never changing. You keep saying you're sorry, but you're not sorry. You keep offering these sacrifices like, Oh God, I'm offering my sacrifice and you're looking out for your next sin. God is saying he wants to change a person. Now what's great about this is where we live, especially today with the Spirit, God is not the one that's going to say we have to grit it out and do it ourselves. He is saying good actions are a result of the God and the Holy Spirit being inside of us. If we are truly followers of God, James is very clear about this, it's not the actions that we do them to make God happy. The actions come out of our true faith. Obviously, they didn't have true faith in God. They had faith in all of their rituals. They thought, we can just appease this God guy. We'll just do our little lip service to him. We'll have some fun at church. 
Sounds like they're having a good time. Solemn assemblies, big attendance, singing some songs, offering some fattened animals, doing their thing, going out and sinning like crazy. And it can be, I hate to say this, but we can sit there and say, what a bunch of terrible Israelites. Aren't there, as we have a church in America, are we in a church in the world? Do we need to look at ourselves on this a little bit? Do we need to say, um, especially in our movement, superstar mentality, sometimes we have in church, do we need to talk and say, what is our attitude? How, how much of our hearts are changing every week? How much are we becoming more like Christ? Or are we just going through the motions? Are we doing what we think is right before God? Amos 5, 4, and 6 says, For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel, and do not enter Gilgal or cross over to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. What he is saying is, stop your rituals. Go after God. Stop your rituals. Go after God. He, he wants your heart. He wants you to change. But the worshipers did not turn from their sin and return to God. They didn't think they needed to return because they were doing their rituals. God tried to get their attention. I, I didn't put this up, but Amos 4, 6 through 13 has a constant thing. Return to me. Return to me. Return to me. Return to me. And after a while, after reading it, you're thinking, I think the theme, I took an English class once, and I think the theme is God wants us to return to him. Okay, if you want to read it later, it's, it's one of those where it's just over and over and over. And God even talks about it. He says, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities. You know what cleanness of teeth means? You don't have to brush your teeth if you don't have any food. He says, I stopped food, I stopped rain, I did all these things to get your attention. I want you to return to me. And people are thinking, we're fine. We live in a, we live in a godly nation. We live in, you know, we, we get major holidays off and we're doing just fine. We're good people. We're not as bad as those people. That's usually our standard, but we're good people. And not only that, Every time God would send somebody to them, they would oppose them, such as the Nazarites and the prophets who were sent by God to warn them of their sins. They didn't want to hear it. When a true pastor came to them, when a true word of God came to them, they said, be quiet. I don't want to hear about that. I like this kind of consumeristic, we do our own thing kind of religion. And you know what? This is kind of the American mentality. When I read this, it really hits me in heart. I, this whole study has been hitting me hard all week. It's like, we, we like this stuff. What do we do? We go searching for a church that meets my needs. We, we have this, my mentality. What's, what's in it for me? What can I gain from this? That's the American way. Okay? That's how we search for what food we're going to eat. What, which food do we like the best? Well, we don't, when a, somebody hits us with something hard, ooh, I didn't like that. That's not comfortable. I don't want to hear that. It might have come right from the Word of God, but we don't want to hear that. We want to hear what, what we like. Amos 2.11 says, I raised up some of your sons for prophets and some of your young, young men for Nazarites. Is it not indeed so, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? But you made the Nazarites drink wine and commanded the prophets, saying, You shall not prophesy. A Nazarite vow said that they would not drink wine. 
Okay? That was one of the Nazarite vows. It also was to grow your hair long. Uh, a little side note, when I was at North Central, we had a rule you had to keep your hair short. Some guys said they were going to pull a Nazarite vow, and they said that school couldn't stop them from growing their hair long. It worked for about a week. But, um, you know, this whole concept was that they are saying you're perverting the Nazarites. You're, you told the prophecies, you know, I don't want to hear them. I don't want to hear them because they're challenging to me. And even when Amos comes up and prophesies in Amos seven ten through 17, Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent Jeroboam the, sent to Jeroboam the king of Israel saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. You know what? He's lying. Amos never conspired against Jeroboam. He's there to help him and warn him. And so what does the priest of Bethel say? Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go flee away to the land of Judah and eat bread there and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary and is the temple of the kingdom. Notice what's interesting about his response right here? He never says, you're not right and you're not saying what God's saying. He says, you're saying against what our king thinks. This is our church. This is our temple. This is the king's temple. Don't say anything bad about the king. It's not the king's temple. It's God's temple. It's God's place. And the king may be wrong. But even the defense is terrible. He, he says, go, go prophesy to the people. He says, but the Lord told me to go prophesy to Israel. And you tell me not to. He says, you know what? I'm going to listen to God. Amaziah says, I'm going to listen to the king. I'm going to listen to the powers here on earth. I'm not going to ruffle any feathers here on earth. And God is saying, as Christian churches and as godly churches, we may need to ruffle some feathers and to listen to God rather than humanity, rather than listen to people around us. Religious leaders don't like to be challenged. The people thought, you know what? We're doing great. We're doing fine. Everything's going well in the land. There's no way in 40 years that we're going to have this happen. It did. Because here's what it comes down to. God desires godly actions in his people. Israel was on a major trade route at this time. They had access to new luxuries like ivory. There was cultural influences coming in from everywhere. There was a new class of wealthy people and landlords emerged. Beautiful homes that we see. They were content in their wealth. Wealth was coming from legal and illegal means. Now, some of the things I'm about to say sound really bad. But it's Amos. That's what's fun about preaching out of the Bible. It's not me saying it. Okay. Amos 4.1. Hear this, you, you cows of Bashan. He's calling women cows. Okay, I'm just... Not me. Who are on the mountains of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. Okay? He's just calling them out. He's saying, you know what? There are wealthy women who are crushing the needy. And he says, this is what God says to you. Unethical business practices were happening. Amos 4 through 6. And this is something I think we need to work on as Christians. I've heard people say that they are Christian-owned. We need to make sure if we are Christian-owned that we are ethical practices of the highest as business people. Amos 8, 4 through 6. Hear this, though you who trample on the needy and bring the poor to the land to an end, saying, When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great, 
and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the shaft of the wheat. In other words, they were taking advantage of the poor. They were doing unethical business practices. But we go to church every week. We offer our sacrifices. We do this. We give money. You know what? We're unethical, but we give money. So at least the church is getting the money for the unethical stuff. Isn't that good? God says, no. I'm not supposed to take advantage of the needy. The landlords were taken too high of rent, Amos 5.11. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you should not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you should not drink the wine. Um, their landlords are taking too high of rents. Uh, they're bribing the courts in Amos 5.10 and 5.12. The poor, the weak, and the dead are mistreated and sometimes sold into slavery, which was completely against the law. You cannot sell somebody into slavery. They were saying, but we're just, but, we're, but we do the sacrifices. We're giving the tithes. We're doing the love off. We're doing the offerings. In fact, I tithe more than I'm supposed to. So God must be okay with me. And God is saying, I'm not okay with you because your heart has not changed. And God is calling us out as a people today. He is calling us out as a country today. He's calling us out as a church as a whole. And he is saying, return to me, Church of America, Church of Bemidji, Crossroads Church. For there's not one of us that doesn't need to be called out. There's not one of us that can't say, that can say that we're doing everything well. Now, this is not a guilt thing to you. Because the, the plus is, there's a promise at the end of Amos, like every prophet. But God is not, want, is not the one who wants to bring negative things into your life. He wants to bring blessing into your life. He wants to bring, bring wonderful things to you. But he simply wants you to return to him. Stop putting on a show. Stop saying, well, he must love me. I've done this. I've signed a membership card. I've put him something in the check. I've done the offerings. I've done this. I've done that. God says, change your heart. For we as an American church and we as a church in the world need to have our hearts changed towards God. We need to be constantly seeking every day and knowing the fact that God, as we seek God, remember the return to me? You know why God wants us to return to him? Because he wants to inject his spirit into us and change us into the people we're supposed to be. He wants us to look out in the world and we see poor people, we don't see them as an opportunity to take advantage. We see this as an opportunity to show God's love. When we see injustice, that we will rise up against it and say, we're not going to stand for that. When we see an opportunity to make a quick buck or help somebody and the quick buck's a little questionable or whatever we want to call it, we look and we say, what would God want me to do? What's going to be good for my witness to God? We go that direction because God is calling us out and he is saying, your, your songs, I don't want to hear them. I want to see your love and your love for me and a changed heart in you. Why don't you stand with me right now? For our prayer ministers to come forward, if you're here today and you need someone to pray with you about anything, if, you wanna, if you're here today and you want to accept Jesus, you want to make Him the master of your life, you want to have your sins forgiven, because you know what? Everything that is talking about in this thing, in the book of Amos, is people trying to do it on their own. 
People thinking they can do it with a, with a worldly religion, with a worldly idea, with a smattering of a few blessings on top of it. God never wanted us to do it on our own. He never called the people to do all this. He didn't want their tithes three times a week. He didn't want all this stuff. He, he wanted them to follow what he wanted them to do, and he wanted to change their heart. Because God is slow to anger, great in righteousness, and wants to see people changed. And if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ, you're doing it on your own and you can't do it. We're not equipped. We were never made to do it. But God is here to take our sins, to come into our life and make us the people that he's called us to be. But for everybody else who's here, accept this message from Amos. And I wish the people of Israel would have accepted because 40 years later they were carried off into captivity because their response to the hymn was, we're doing just fine. And you know what? I think there's some contentment that we have to have and say maybe God is doing great things in us, but there's an openness that we need to have every day. God, change me. Like the psalm says, change my heart, O Lord. Look inside of me. Find if there is something wrong inside of me. Help me to be the person that you have called me to be. Don't let me settle for second rate. Don't let me settle for low. Don't let me just put on a show and do the minimum. Let me be the person of God that you've called me to be. And we do that. God is going to do great things in our lives. God is going to transform our lives. We're going to see, we're going to see the poor helped. We're going to see the needy helped. We're going to reach out to people. We're going to see a reputation and God's name be proclaimed as we show that this is what godly people do. And we do this. God's going to do wonderful things and receive life's change. Lord, we thank you today. We thank you for this warning that Amos gives, Lord. But it's not just a warning, God. It's, it's, a, it's a call to action. It's a call to return to you, God. And Jesus, when you came to this earth, you gave us your spirit when we call on your name. And your spirit indwells us, God. And we are able, we are drawn to you, God. And Lord, we are also able to change internally. We're able to change and become the people of God you want us to be. Let us not settle for lukewarm. Let us not settle for second rate. Let us go for the best that you have for us, God. Let us, as it says in the Bible, outdo one another in doing good works towards one another, showing honor to one another, God. Let us see how close we can draw to you, God, not how close we can draw to the world. Let this be the cry of our heart, God. We ask this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you're here today, we have prayer ministers available to pray with you. Mothers, make sure you pick up a flower and have a great day.